If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts, who have been with us since the very beginning, and it's where we learned how to make podcasts, radio, and video. So if you're interested in a creative degree in games, or sound, or film, or journalism, or maybe you want to combine a game from sound, film, journalism degree, you can mix and match, and you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Um, so that's where you can find out all the information. Thank you very much to the School of Arts at Murdoch University for sponsoring Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift episode 111. It's our final podcast episode for this year. My name is Gianni. I'm your host. And joining me, co-host duties, we've got Mitch. I'm back. I've been gone for like a month and a half. And I'm here again. And my mic's turned on. I think that's that's an oversight. Maybe we should swap you out and put in Fiona or Scott or... Yeah, well, you know. Or anyone else. I can just pop out to the street and find someone else. All right, settle down. Okay. Yeah. Joining us as well, we have Ellen Urich. She's from Blowfish Studios, game director yes. of uh, Stormboy, the game. Stormboy, Stormboy, either all one. <laughs> um, and we're going to be learning all about this game, which is an adaptation of the classic Australian novel mm-hmm. a little bit later in the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It's always great to have you on the show. We've had you on before two years ago, actually. It seems a long time now, but um, good to have you back and in the studio here with us. But Mitch, that's not the only thing we're talking about today. We're also going to be checking out another topic, and that topic is... Yeah, so we're talking about Epic Games and their announcement of their own PC gaming store and what it means for developers and consumers. It's a big question. What does it mean? We'll find out. Let's jump in. Pixel Civ! It's not Pixel Civ. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. So earlier this month, Epic Games announced they were launching a new online store uh, for PC gaming at the Game Awards. So basically, they're pretty much bringing an element of the console wars into the PC environment. It was, a, it was a really interesting power move by <laughs> Epic. They're uh, sitting there currently with, uh, I think, like a jillion dollars a day. It I does... think that's the official amount of money that they're earning from Fortnite. Yeah. So, I mean, it gives them a lot of scope to... Mm, it does take a lot of brass to step up to Steve and go, what? You know, like, it, like that's pretty much what they did. Yeah. And, and there it's... are a couple of different things that are looking very enticing for developers and consumers. Now, Ellen... Mm. You're a, a developer, developer and, and a, a consumer. consumer. <laughs> yes. yes, this is targeted exclusively to me. Would you say it's like enticing? Uh, look, um, I mean, it's interesting to hear, you know, hear the 
um, comparison to being like the console wars, I actually think of it, and this is probably you know going to put. P- I'm a PC gamer, mm-hmm. but it's actually a little bit more like Android and iOS to me. Mm-hmm. So you know you have iOS exclusives and it's more curated, whereas Android is kind of a free for all. And Steam has sort of become that now. So it's a lot easier to get your game on Steam, but now. Epic is wanting to curate the games and decide what they're going to put on there. So that's for, you know, for a developer and a publisher, that's something that, you know, it, we will have to manage that relationship with Epic in a way that we wouldn't have to manage it as much with Steam. Because it has sort of been a bit like Steam previously did have a system where you had to be selected, you'd have to run mm. a campaign to get in, but yes. it feels like it's a free-for-all kind of now. I think, yeah. it's, it's That was the Steam Greenlight. Program. Steam Greenlight, yep. yeah. Yeah. And... um. I mean, I I love a free market, so I think the more stores, the better. Um, I use GOG a lot, Mm -hmm. and, you know, as a consumer, I just look at where where the game is cheapest. Mm -hmm. And so if it's only available on a store, I will go to that store. And I think that that is is healthy for the economy. Um, At the same time, that developers and publishers can get a bigger chunk of the money of the sales is very enticing if we can appeal to Epic a lot more. So there Mm. will be, like, you know, gunning to get iOS featuring, there will be a lot more to go into that because we know we'll get a lot a, a much better bit uh, a much better deal mm. back. Because big- of because of the curation, do you think developers are gonna really think twice or maybe three times over whether they want to even approach Epic? Or or Steam? Yeah, or Steam. Yeah. yeah. Like I've already seen that some developers have actually even just pulled their Steam release entirely. And I guess one of the big criticisms that's kind of come out, which it, this is why this is a really interesting story and why you should sort of be, you probably would just be buying games at the cheapest price and that's probably your main mm. concern. But, you know, for, for years, for 15 years, Steam hadn't adjusted its cut that it takes out of every sale. So it used to be that it was just 30%, that's it. Mm. And that used to be the, you know, similar to the Apple Store, Google Play, that was the, the play. But we sort of saw this move where a lot of the um, developers and publishers were actually making their own spin-off launches. Yeah. So we saw Bethesda do this already. Um, we've seen EA a, a while ago did with the Origin client. Um, Epic, of course, did it with Fortnite as well. And the reason why is because every single sale they make, they would lose 30%. But they've just came out like about a week before Epic announced, uh, announced the sale that they were actually going to be cutting the mm. their take effectively. So if you sold over 10 million copies or $10 million worth of product, um, you would get 25%. Then if it was over 50 million, so that's, you know, your EAs, your Ubisofts, mm-hmm. all of these sort of companies, then it would go down to 20%. So pretty much only enticing big companies to stay, exactly. essentially. The big companies had already moved. You know, yeah, they, okay. had, they mm. had gone and they they've sort of to bring them back. But what's really interesting about this store here is that Epic has come in and they said, oh, we're only going to take 12%. Mm. And that's it. And also- And that's know, for everyone. That's for everyone, anyone who makes the, the cut, basically. So they'll take that 12%. And interestingly, if you've made your game in Unreal, which Epic makes. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, you had to pay another 5% on top if you had, were on Steam, and they now will take that cut out of the 12%. So you're actually mm. even better deal for you to, to jump on there. So, so when, I, when I said, like, stepping up to Steam, it is a very aggressive move because like, it, 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 it works out for developers and consumers because if developers can pass on those savings to consumers, which... I'd wager they probably would just to, you know, bring people to the platform. That'd probably be better for everyone. Yeah. Mm. So Steam's response will be, you know, something that we need to keep an eye on. I think it's I, – look, and tell me if you disagree, but I think Steam had a long run where they were the dominant player and they kind of have, um, I guess, ch- trends have changed and mm. this is a big change. And I'm hoping that with this coming in, 
that'll be enough to, you know, they have these two behemoths like sm- smashing microphones and smashing um, <laughs> into each other. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. probably going to be a good deal for, Con- for players. Consumer awareness is a lot better than it was when Steam first started um, trading. Like you would, people really didn't know how, people didn't know what a cut was or what a royalty fee was for using an engine. People didn't even know what engines were back then. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, they didn't like know how a game was made. But now with social media telling everybody exactly what this means a lot more people are kind of in with the in with the discourse almost and they know what they're talking about so these kind of things do matter to the consumer now it's not just the hip pocket but at the end of the day that will be what matters the most Mm. yeah ellen you blowfish publishes a lot of games as well and develops them as well do you think this is going to be a a factor in the way that games are released that your company works on uh, well, we use uh, Unity, but we are also currently starting to work with games that use Unreal as well. Um, that to us is kind of the biggest interest point of uh, are we going to get favoured or, or not favoured because we're not predominantly Unreal? Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the pricing and, you know, the uh, removal of that fee for using Unreal, that doesn't apply for us. But we don't know yet what the selection process is going to be, what type of store the Epic Store is going to be. Um, GOG, which is CD Projekt Red, so The Witcher, they focus um, on much more indie and kind of that feeling of um, it's almost an indie feeling. And we've mm-hmm. actually had a game that's been rejected despite being an indie game, despite being on Steam and, you know, otherwise available. So it'll be interesting to see what kinds of games Epic is wanting to put on there and how they want to compete. That, to me, is going to be the interesting thing. Now, for developers and publishers, that we're getting a larger cut back. Mm. That can mean that we say, oh, well, we're expecting to make a ground amount of this much per product. So then we essentially make the price cheaper mm. on the Epic Store, which drives people to buy from the Epic Store because it's cheaper because we're still getting the same amount of You'd money You'd have to hit back. it with the Steam premium pricing. Exactly. Mm. It's really interesting. You spoke a little bit about indies as well. And, you know, there has been a lot of criticism that Steam has taken that huge cut and also the discoverability is really difficult. Um, And a lot of people have uh, moved their games onto stores like Mm -hmm. itch.io. Do you think this is a good move that if they did have some sort of indie system, they might be able to, you know, bring some of that goodwill across uh, into the store? Do you think? For the Epic Store? Yeah. I think so. And... Mm. um but it comes down to, you know, I don't work at Epic and I'm not sure what they want to do and, and yeah. who how they're trying to market it. And mm. I think that that is what we'll see coming forward. Um, you know, I, I saw, I think, uh, a review <laughs> for Stormboy on the iOS store um, where someone was unhappy and said, save your money and play Fortnite instead, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because Fortnite's free anyway and it's a yeah. totally different type of game. Yeah. So... Is Epic going to want to curate towards Fortnite players and you right. know, who are they trying to target? Who do they want to be playing this? And what kinds of games are those people going to want to buy so that they can get the money? Would Would you it? expect Epic to really be clear and, and transparent about their curation criteria? Or do you think they're going to keep that pretty close to their chest? Well, interestingly, the guy who... Um uh, made Steam Spy, which was the the tool that a lot of developers use. Yeah. We spoke to um, Morgan Jaffet in a previous episode, and he was talking about like that's the way you found out and could compare your game to other people's things because yeah. the stats weren't available. Now works at 
Epic and has been working on the Epic Game Store. Right. Um, his name's Sergey, and I can't remember his surname, but he's the guy who does uh, Steve's Fi. Um, and yeah, but and also the Epic CEO Tim Sweeney has actually come out and said um, in an interview that he gave with The Verge that ultimately they're trying to include quality games of all sizes mm. and genres. So. You know, maybe that's just nice words. We don't know. but Yeah, and I don't think they know. I don't think mm. it's fair as, you know, a developer or publisher to or even as a consumer to expect them to know right now what's going to work because they may want to start out all games, all sizes, different things, but then find that some of those just don't sell. Mm. And so do they want to keep including that? Yes, no. Is it better off if they focus a little, cl- you know, closer or are they going to want to maintain that breadth? It's just going to be something that evolves over time and we'll sort of wait and see, I guess. Well, look, um, you know, as as they say, uh, it's they've got a lot of runway in order mm. to, to try things out. They've got plenty of cash to throw around and see what yeah. works. Um, and, you know, uh, Sweeney sort of went on to explain, because as a developer ourselves, we've always wanted a platform with great economics that connects us directly with our players. Um, and then thanks to the success of Fortnite, we now have this and we're ready to share it with other developers. So... It's uh, it's. I think it's if you like to buy games, it's a good time <laughs> to buy games because there's more and more places to do it. Mm. But it will be interesting to see as those economics of selling games and making games um, sort of adjust, and whether Valve will come out and and make a make a, a different move. Mm. Very interesting to see. Well, look, um, I'm sure there'll be more more to find out. Let's jump into our next topic, shall we? Now, if you're just joining us, uh, this is Pixel Sift. It's a fortnightly gaming podcast uh, that comes out of WA where we talk to developers from around Australasia. Our guest this week is Ellen Urich. Uh, she is the game director of Stormboy the Game, which is based on the beloved Australian classic by Colin but, Teeley. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> Got the it. official. Got it. Got the that's line there. The official line. <laughs> 1964, it came out. Yes. Uh, it's about 60 pages long. Well done, guys. Mm. Yeah. Done our, done our research. It's like you guys know what you're talking about. I know. It's like we've done a bit of preparation. <laughs> Ellen, why did Blowfish make Stormboy the game? Why did we make Stormboy the game? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we we like making games, obviously. We're game developers. Uh, and we work on a lot of different games, both work for hire as well as publishing, as well as our own games. Now, some of our own games are quite different to Stormboy the Game, but we've grown um, a little bit over the past few years. And Stormboy really offered us an opportunity to make something that we felt was playing around a little bit more with a slower paced game, a more of an artsy kind of game, a story based game, something that could be a little bit more emotive and emotional, something that could be beautiful, something that could really show off what our artists can do. Um, and, you know, when given the opportunity for it, it was just a, a great experience to have. Mm. Um, I've worked with IP before, both at, at Blowfish and also at Gameloft previously. So it's something that I'm familiar with doing, adapting IP. Um, and then also to be able to kind of own that entirely ourselves and work directly with the IP holders was a great experience as well. Mm. So did it? Did um, did you go out and seek out the IP, or did it come to you? It came to us oh. nicely. Um, New Holland Publishing, uh, maybe like one or two suburbs away from us, mm. and so they kind of were looking around. And uh, there's the new movie coming out as well as mm-hmm. as you may have heard in in Australia and some parts of the world. 
January 20th, I believe, is uh, when it's due out. And um, and they they kind of realised that they had the licence to also make a game that and no one's done that yet. So they um, came to us and said, would you be interested? And so we pitched to them what we thought would be a good idea and um, talked about what we might want the game to be and how we might want to treat the IP and um, and the time frame that we had to deliver it. Mm. And um, Kind of all came yeah. together. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, I just recently reread the book um, and I, I kind of felt like the narrative itself lends itself to almost light levels or because the chapters are quite disjointed mm. and there's kind of a key focus of each chapter. Was that something that was sort of really appealing when you were trying to adapt this into a, a game from, from a novel? Uh, I think for us the main goal was to think about it in terms of not necessarily chapters or levels, but kind of um, I thought it more more of it as scenes like you would, you know, because I a come vignette. from a, a theatre background. So, mm. yeah, we were talking about it as a vignette and the storyline mm. and, um, and the focus for us because there's things that we leave out. Um, you know, you can add into an IP, you can um, leave things out, you can build on it, uh, you can try and reproduce it faithfully. But we chose to focus entirely on Mr. Percival and Stormboy's friendship and their journey together, um, not the things that were kind of outside of that. So it became more about what are the things, the key things, the key plot points and the key activities that Stormboy might do and how can we give the player an experience of being Stormboy and seeing the journey and his experience with Mr. Percival. Mm. Now, it, it is a beloved novel. Many people read it in mm. primary school. Can you tell us about your sort of first experiences with the novel? Did you read it in school? I did not. Oh, right. I did not. So um, for me, I knew of it. I'd mm. never read, I'd never seen the movie. Mm. Um, I still haven't seen the movie. I've seen clips from the movie. And what I'd seen compared to the novel that I, you know, very quickly read and consumed and lived, um, lived, uh-huh. Um I I compared what I saw from clips from the movie with mm. the book and there were some differences. So I chose at that point to just focus entirely on the book, not have it be influenced by the movie and just have our unique retelling of the story. Um, saying that I lived the experience, it, in a way, um, growing up I had pet geese and I had a pet chicken. Mm-hmm. So I am very familiar with, you know, where other people have dogs and cats, yep. I had birds. Yep. And so a lot of that was was brought into this and, you know, throwing things at them, you know, like throwing lettuce at geese and it just like bounces off them and they're they're not quite there. Um, they're just not paying attention in the way you'd expect. And, and that was one of the things that I said, I really want to be able to throw fish at the pelicans and for it to bounce off. Yeah. And there were just little bits and pieces like that. Mm. And um you know, others grew up at the beach, and so we all brought in what we knew and um, and wanted to really focus on it being nostalgic for people who had grown up at the beach or had grown up with birds, mm. um, or or even just someone who had a beloved pet growing mm. up that was more like a best friend than a, a pet. How much influence does the uh, license holder have over the game? Like, do they uh, do they do they oversee a lot of it, or do they, do you have a lot of freedom at Bluefish? Uh, with this particular situation, we had a lot of freedom. Um, New Holland publishers were were very generous and very, you know, really, really good to work with. So um, we pitched them the idea. We aligned very quickly as to what we wanted it to be. We prepared sort of a game design document, sent it to them. They looked over it. They said that they liked it. And um, 
And that was really it. But we we checked in with them. I think every two weeks we had a call with them to let them know of our, our progress and how we were going. We sent them builds, let them play. and But they were quite um, trusting of us, mm. fortunately. And so there was, you know, of course, pressure to make sure that it was something that they'd like. And, um, and they were happy with it as well in the end. So... Well, look, if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Pixel Sift. Uh, we're an indie game video podcast, um, or you might be listening in your podcast, in your car. Ellen Urich is our guest. Um, we were talking about the, the trust there mm. between you and the publisher, but, you know, there is this, you didn't have the same experience that some people might have had growing up reading this book and having it as something that was part of their childhood. Yeah. Is it, I guess, scary to, to kind of make an adaptation of this thing and then present it to an audience who are very invested in it? Of course, but we sort of knew that everyone's experience is going to be different mm-hmm. and that is flavoured by their perception of the world growing up, um, whether they'd read the book, whether they'd watched the movie, how intimately they, they knew the movie, which one they experienced first, um, as well as their own experiences. So we just focused on doing our own retelling and and trying to – focus on what we wanted to focus on. And that was, again, that was something that we spoke to the publisher about. And it was about friendship and it was about nostalgia and it was about um, growing up and loss mm. and um, and getting through that. And that's really what we tried to focus on. And, you know, if I was going to destroy some people's childhoods, <laughs> so be it. You know, and I'll. You've got to destroy a childhood gonna, here and there, don't you? Know, you in a professional career, exactly. And um, I'm going to destroy some people's childhood. Some people are going to be devastated, but there's going to be new people who are mm. new um, to the story, and we're bringing them in, and then they can enjoy it now as a game, and then as a book, and then as a movie, and then as another movie. So, where do you see it kind of fitting in with all of those other adaptations that kind of exist? So we we always say it's. It's an adaptation of the book. It's not a movie game. It's definitely a book game. So in a sense, we see it as being a cousin or, you know, a little brother or a little sister of the movies. It's smaller. It's hopefully more intimate because you are engaging with everything that's happening. Um, But it's certainly not necessarily intended to replace any of them. One of the decisions we did make was that all of the text – comes from the book. Mm. So we don't, all of the story text in the actual game, um, not the hint text or help text, but all the story text does come from the book. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, say you're a kid who's struggling to read and you have to study this book and you're struggling to understand what's going on in the book. You're studying, you're struggling to have that emotional connection because you're focusing so hard on reading. If you play through the game, you'll hopefully get an understanding. It'll contextualise it and make it feel a bit more alive. Mm than this stodgy book without necessarily relying on the movies, which added more to the story. Is all the dialogue in there? Like I can understand that obviously all the, you know, you'd be setting up the scene by actually having a screen, right? Um, But did you include a lot of everything that was in there or did some bits just not quite work? It, it, It was very curated. Yeah. So it was trying to maintain the essence of the story and, um, and give context to the mini games. But yeah, there's, yeah, we cut out a lot, of course. <laughs> Otherwise, just read the book. <laughs> yes. it, it does seem like it would fit quite well in the classroom and mm. of, of schools. Was that your intention as well, to maybe make a sort of teaching an, material an as well? educational package, yeah. edutainment. Um, 
it it wasn't a primary objective, but it's certainly something that we're happy with. Um, we can see it fitting in in that situation as well, um, or just parents playing with their kids. Um, yeah, we've we've actually had some interest and some feedback from teachers saying, mm. you know, oh, this is this will be great, mm. you know, for our students. We've actually got a question from Wishing Chain in the uh, Twitch chat. Um, what was the hardest thing to make in the game? They've asked. Oh, hardest thing to make um, that went into the game because I can tell you about the hardest thing to make that didn't make. Oh, it maybe into the game. both. Yeah, maybe mm. both. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll try and think about something that went into the game that was hard to make. Um, the hardest thing to make overall was we wanted to have a mini game of Mr. Percival versus the Hunters, mm. and of course you're not on the Hunters side; you're Mr. Percival's side. So we tried a few different mini games that could somehow relive that situation and that's a really hard thing to do and no matter what we did we just tried different things and it became really gamey and it became really disconnected and mm. it just felt wrong mm. so ultimately we just cut it out and replaced it with a cutscene, which i think ended up being the best decision because it also lent itself being a cutscene that's non-interactable it lent itself to the feeling of powerlessness that Stormboy himself had at that situation as well the hardest thing to make for that actually went into the game. Um, I don't know. Is it all in retrospect now? Seem like <laughs> everything's hard. Yeah. Um, there were certainly performance issues with with the swimming underwater. Mm. Um, you know, we were trying to push as hard as we could to make a game that was absolutely beautiful. Um, because you're targeting a lot of different devices as yeah. well. So what what's the baseline that you need to kind of get it to? What's the least powerful thing that you need to make it run on? Uh, the hardest thing to make it run on was uh, I think we were looking at, well, we were testing on iPad Mini 2. Yeah, right. Which and so. About 2011 or 12, right? Something like that, yeah. yeah. And so we actually um, sort of rushed it out and didn't really test on those lower-end devices. And then we were getting some feedback saying, I can't run the game, it's super choppy. And so we very quickly jumped on it and had to make new shaders and, mm. you know, basically had to make it work, rewrite things so that it would work. Um, aside from that, I don't know if there was anything that was particularly hard to make. Mm. Everything. Games are hard. <laughs> Games are hard. Games are hard. <laughs> now, this, is this the first role that you've been a game director on? Yes. And how does that compare to previous um, roles where you've worked as a producer and, and writer and other bits and pieces? So as a game director, I kind of have the final say creatively. Mm. Um, I'm looking at it from a kind of a higher level. So in, in this game, I did the game design as well as directing it overall. Um, that, different, that was different to being a producer, where a producer may sort of advise, but they're thinking in terms of budget, they're thinking in terms of scope, they're thinking in terms of sales, they're not really necessarily thinking in terms of the creative vision mm. as much as um, a game director. So, like, another term would be project lead yeah, um, as opposed to producer. Um, I, when I've done game design or writing, it's kind of fit into someone else's vision and, you know, sat lower down the chain. So this was people asking me, 
um, oh, we want to redo this this way. Is this okay? Is this something that fits in? Oh, what if we have this? And I'll kind of be the one saying, I don't think that that fits into the overall vision. Or that is great and is better than anything I've thought of. Perfect. Make it so. Mm. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I. It was. Is it hard to articulate your, your vision or is it like, it's my vision? You have um, to, like, how, how do you communicate that with a team and, and how does that sort of change from, from other roles that you've done? I, I just tried to make sure that there was basically a phrase or a, you know, the, the key things that we were focusing down on. As I said, nostalgia, friendship, um, that, you know, a boy and his dog kind of became a phrase that we talked about a lot as well. Um, but, you know, I would just kind of shape things so people could try something, they'd do a concept or they'd build something, and I'd say, oh, can you just maybe mm. – try this or you know More like a I dog really, come on yeah 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 i yeah. really want to feel this when yeah. i look at them mm. um or uh, i look at that and it makes me feel this or i look at that and it looks to that and so but it was always trying to give feedback about my reaction to it and the direction i want it to go in mm. um but yeah probably the biggest difference that i can think of between doing game direction and production is that I, as a game director, and I didn't do this much because I am usually a producer and this had a very tight timeline as well, mm. but as a game director, I get to go, that would make the game a lot better. We should do that. And then the producer will kind of go, um, I'm not sure we really have time for that. And so then it became that sort of battle of, you know, making sure that the game is the best but is also on time. Yeah. And especially across all those platforms, that was <laughs> I knew not to be too harsh on on Sam as well, yeah. not to push him too hard. Well, we, we spoke to Sam at um, PAX Australia about mm. the game, um, and we were talking about how you know there was a few jokes in there to to kind of expand it out. Mister Percival's revenge, uh, yes. z- z- zombie plot potentially. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers for the nineteen sixty four novel if you haven't read it. I think the purists yeah. aren't going to like that. No, but is there a scope to do more of this sort of work and and take sort of other novels and kind of adapt them in this similar sort of way? Possibly. Um, Is it something you would be enjoy doing? Yeah, I'd certainly enjoy doing it. Um, I love playing with existing IPs. I love, you know, making original things as well, but um, playing with stories that already exist and, and making them make sense to people from, you know, a sort of a living perspective is something that's really interesting to me. I would like to request the magic pudding. The magic oh. pudding. Ooh. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> oh. That would be very I'm good. I can go home and find out who the yeah. IP holder for that is. Yeah. And- you, yeah. <laughs> Just if you need ideas. Get onto Memfox, yeah. get the, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. work yeah, your way the through estate. the bookshelf. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we know Memfox. Yeah, yeah, we'll just hook you up. Yeah. <laughs> Now, look, the game is out now. People can play mm. it. Um, it's available on the App Store, on Google Play, on the Mac App Store, Xbox, Steam, PS4, Nintendo Switch, just about everywhere you can mm. get it. Mm. iPad Mini 2. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Play the iPad Mini 2 version. Apparently that took a long time to make. <laughs> so. That's the hardest thing to make. Um, and there's the obviously the, the adaptation which is coming out, the film adaptation which is coming out next year as mm. well. Ellen, thank you so much for, for making the time. and for, My pleasure. Per, you know, specifically making the trip over to Perth to join just, us in this year. Just for you too. Yes. Just, you know, just for your viewers. I appreciate it so you. much. Thank you so much. Look, uh, that's all we've got time for today. Um, thanks again for watching it. We will be back 
early next year with a podcast episode. We're going to have a brand new uh, setup. We'll we'll give you more information over the over the holiday break. Um, so we're going to be you. working really hard, even though we're not. Making, going to be live. Yeah. yeah, we'll still be doing uh, streams and stuff as well, and yep. um, you'll be able to watch uh, a few more of those uh, throughout the year. If you want to find out more information, though, about from our previous episodes, Mitch, where can people go to? Yeah, so you can check out all our previous episodes on our website, pixelsiv.com.au, or you can visit our YouTube page, which is pixelsiv. Oh, sorry, youtube.com forward slash au, or you could just search pixelsivd in Google or pixelsivd in any of your favorite podcast players of choice. It's a bright yellow icon with our sieved and pixels. So check it out. We'll be there. Uh, or join us on Discord as well. Oh, join us we Discord, are there yeah. all the time. It's uh, pixelsivd.com.au forward slash Discord. It's where all the cool kids are. Ellen, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.